Hi, Pastor Chuck here. And I want to say thank you for listening with us today. Hope this message from God's Word encourages you, challenges you, inspires you, and reminds you of how much God loves you. All right, this week we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read verses 21 through 28. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. His disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. This passage is one that will be in your reading this week, if you're following along with our reading through the New Testament this year. And as I was looking through the this week's chapters, trying to decide which of these texts I want to speak on this morning, this is, I'd like for our, our passages to follow along with what we're reading here, I would really struggle with which one to go with. And this one I couldn't get away from, even though it, it feels so much this passage. If you were with us last week, you remember that we saw a leper come to Jesus and, and beg for healing. And here we similarly have a lady uh, that came to Jesus, and she's begging for healing for her daughter. And they seem so similar, but I don't know if maybe somebody needed to hear this again, or maybe God just knew I needed to hear it again, this reminder of how we approach God and in this particular case, even when God seems silent. You ever been through a time where you're praying to God and asking for direction or asking for a prayer request or whatever it may be, and you just don't feel like you're getting the answers? You just don't feel like God is, is, is sharing anything with you? He just seems quiet, maybe even feels distant. We know that he's not. The Bible says in Hebrews, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We know he hasn't walked away. He hasn't given up on us. But it can feel that way sometimes. And I wonder if that's how this woman felt as she encountered Jesus with this request that was so heavy on her heart that, that, that she's asking for healing for her daughter. Let's look at that passage. It says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Jesus has been uh, you know, working there in, in Galilee. He's been uh, teaching. Uh, and you may recall, he even sent out his disciples uh, to go and uh, to teach. In this passage, He's going to, to Tyre and Sidon to, uh, to a different region. And to do that, he's passing through this uh, Syrophoenician area. And uh, so that's the, the context of where he is. He's, he's, he's going uh, through a Gentile area. I guess this is what Matthew is describing here. He's letting them know where Jesus is going and, and, and why he encounters this woman. And it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out, out of the same coast. Now, it's an important aspect of how Matthew describes this lady. He's, he's letting his readers know. Remember, Matthew's writing primarily to a Jewish audience, and he's, he calls her a Canaanite. He says this is a woman of Canaan. Now, the Canaanites, if you recall, were the people that lived in the Promised Land when the children of Israel They were the ones that really led the children of Israel away from worshiping God. They had all these different Canaanite gods, and that was the problem the Israelites had is they kept going and, and worshiping these Canaanite gods. They were supposed to be driven out of the land, and then they didn't do that, and they became a problem for them. And it would later be those Canaanite nations that would come back and, and attack Israel, and, and there was so much conflict there. 
So for Matthew's readers to call her a Canaanite, even though there really wasn't a Canaan at this point in time, uh, Mark and his, he calls her a Syrophoenician woman. But she was in that area of, of the Syrophoenician uh, state there. And so it was a Gentile state. It wasn't part of Israel at this point, uh, although it had been at some point in the past. And uh, but he's, he's pointing them out that not only is she a Gentile, but she's of that group that was a thorn in their side. If, if they should dislike somebody, this is somebody they should dislike. She's not something, she's not a person that, that they would just warm up to naturally. And so that's kind of how he's setting the stage. This wasn't a woman that, that uh, they would uh, you know, naturally go, oh, let's root for her. She was a, a Canaanite woman. She was technically Syrophoenician, as Mark would tell us, Mark's audience uh, being a bit broader, not just uh, aimed uh, directly at the, uh, the Jewish audience. And, uh, but as, as, Mark, as Matthew describes this, he says, behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. She comes to Jesus, and she, she calls out to him. Notice what she calls him. Lord, first of all, she, she addresses him as, as a master and says, Thou son of David. That's one of Jesus' messianic names. That's one of the names that had been given to the Messiah that was going to come, was the son of David. And she calls him son of David, recognizing that he's the Messiah. She believes him to be the one that had been promised through the, through, through the Jews to come and deliver them. Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. She believes in him. We mentioned last week, that was the first part of the, the faith for that leper that came to Jesus. He says, you know, if you will, thou canst make me clean. He believed that, he, that Jesus had that power. She's here showing that she believes he is the promised one. And because of that, she believes he has the power to, to heal her daughter. She gives the, her explanation that she believes her daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. We don't know what that entailed. Uh, we don't know, uh, you know, Jesus doesn't even address that, whether it was actually a, a demon influence, as we saw in some other passages where Jesus cast out demons, whether this was just a, a sickness that the lady assumed was a demon type of uh, situation. We don't know. All we know is that Jesus healed her. But uh, I guess I gave away the ending there, didn't I? We'd already read past that. But she comes to him and she, she says, the Lord, the son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. She's coming to Jesus and asking for his help. Notice Jesus' response, but he answered her not a word. Can you believe that? Here in this passage, Jesus basically just, he ignores her. He acts like she's not even there. He answered her not a word. Why do you think that was? I believe it's because he's testing her faith. He, he, he wants to see her reaction. Now, did Jesus need to test her faith to, to know what was in her heart? I would argue no. I would argue that based on what we see in, in the rest of the Gospels, in Matthew and even in Mark and Luke and John's Gospel, Jesus knows what's in her heart. We see situation after situation where Jesus talks to someone and it says he knew, he knew what was in their heart. Sometimes Jesus would reveal to people what they were really thinking, even though they were saying something different. He would show them, I know what, what's really going on inside. Jesus knew this lady's faith, but he was testing her. He was letting her see her faith. He wanted her to realize what it was, what it took for her to, to get his attention. Think about uh, the passive Job. When I think of someone else who, who didn't hear from God, who, if you, who endured a silence, if you will, it's Job. Remember when Satan first came to, to God and he's, he's uh, you know, talking to him about uh, testing someone? What did God say about Job? 
Do you say, yeah, I kind of like to know what that guy's like? No. God, in Job chapter 1, verse 8, says, The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? He knew Job. He viewed Job as a servant. He says that there is none like him in the earth. He says he's a one of a kind. He, there's something special about Job. He goes on to call him a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. God knew when he allowed him to go through this, this testing that he would go through. And, and Job would be out there. Remember the story of Job. He's, he, he doesn't know why this is happening. His wife even comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just get mad at God and, and give up? And his friends come to him and try to uh, you know, wax on about, well, you must have done something wrong and God is punishing you. And they're giving him all this advice. And Job is just sitting there waiting for God to speak. And, and God's not speaking at that point. He's hearing the signs. That's what this woman was encountering. She had uh, asked Jesus, you know, heal my daughter. And he's not even acknowledging her request. He's not even speaking to her. Sometimes those waiting moments can seem so lonely, can seem so abandoned. And yet we have to hold on to the promises that are there to know that God is not abandoning us. He has promised to be there for us, to be there with us. And when it seems like he's far away, he's not. But he is doing something. He is doing something in our lives. Oswald Chamber, who's, who wrote the, uh, the, the devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, uh, he, he had a statement one time where he said, when you cannot hear God, you will find that he has trusted you in the most intimate way possible, with absolute silence. Not a silence of despair, but one of pleasure, because he saw that you could withstand an even bigger revelation. See, when, when we don't hear from God, it's not because he's mad at us. It's not because he's, uh, you know, fed up with us, given up on us. He hadn't given up on this lady. He wasn't mad at this lady. He wanted her to see something about herself. He wanted the others around her to see something about her. He wanted to use this as a teaching moment. And because of that, he, he gives her silence. He doesn't address her need. You know, Jeremiah 33, 3, we, we know that passage. And that, that's why when God doesn't respond right away, we get nervous and we get frustrated. It's when Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. And so many times, that's what we look at is, is, is uh, you know, oh, God, why aren't you answering me? Why aren't you speaking to me? Why aren't you, you know, there's some direction here. You know, you said you, we call out to you, you'll answer us. And yet, if you look at the rest of that passage in Jeremiah, he's warning them that they're about to go through a captivity. They're about to go through a really tough time. And he's reminding them that when you go through this time, you're going to think I'm not there anymore, but I am. Are you going through a time today where it feels like God's just not there? He is. He answered her not a word. This is, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she crieth after us. I love this. I love the, the, their answer there. They're like, Jesus, will you please answer this lady's prayer, answer this lady's request? Because she just keeps following us. And she's calling out. And it's kind of embarrassing. People are, you know, looking at us. To me, that shows this woman had a persistence about her. She didn't just call it out once and Jesus walked on by and she said, okay, I guess he didn't answer that. She's apparently following them enough, crying out, you know, master, have mercy on me. Over and over again, enough of the disciples finally come to Jesus and say, send her away. Now, Jesus' response to them lets us know that they weren't just saying, tell her to leave us alone. They were actually saying, give her what she wants so she'll leave us alone. Because Jesus, in the, in the next passage, we'll see, you know, answers that, uh, you know, uh, he, he's not come uh, for them. 
So we, we see that they're saying, you know, send him away. You know, to me, that's another part of the, the beauty of this is that that persistence, that idea that, that God wants us to continue praying. You haven't heard an answer to that prayer? Keep praying. It doesn't seem like God's hearing it. Keep praying. Doesn't seem like God's doing anything. Keep praying. Keep calling out. Because he wants us to be persistent in our prayer. Be persistent in our faith. He says, send her away. She, she's calling out. She's, she won't go away unless you answer this. And Jesus answered them and said, I am not sent, but in the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus doesn't even, it still doesn't address this woman. She's still standing there. And, and, the, and can you imagine how she felt at that point? God's, Jesus is speaking to them. He's, he's, he's addressing my situation. He's talking about me, but he's not talking to me. What's going on? You ever feel like everybody else is getting an answer from God, but you're not? That had to be how this woman was feeling. Like, God, I, I'm still waiting here. I still don't know what's going on. I still don't know how much more of this I can take. But God was at work. He was doing something. And so he talks to the disciples. He says, I'm not sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Remember a few chapters back, if you're reading along with us, I think it's about Matthew 12, when Jesus sent out the disciples, he says, I want you to go out and, and, and preach and teach and heal people. He said, don't go to the Gentile areas. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's giving Israel here a chance. He's saying, I'm going to Israel first because the prophecy is that his own were rejected. He says, I don't want the children of Israel to, to come and to be able to say, well, he didn't come to us. He went to the, the Gentiles. No, he went to the Jews first and said, I am here. I'm your Messiah. I'm the one you've been looking for. And he's, he's maintaining that here for a period of time to give Israel a chance to receive him as king. Or I guess more specifically, give them a chance to reject him as king, as he knew they would do. But when Jesus says that to the disciples, it sounds so harsh, doesn't it? I'm not, come, I'm, I'm not sent right now to the Gentiles. I'm focused on Israel. I'm focused on, on uh, this nation and, and letting them know I'm the Messiah. And the woman obviously hears that. It says she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Again, we see that worship is the proper posture for approaching God. Just like the leper we saw last week, it said he came and he worshipped him. He fell down on his, on his face. He got down in his hands and knees in front of him, saying, you have a position in my life that is greater than I am. That's what this woman is showing. She's worshipping him, saying, you are the object of my life. I'm not the object of my life. She's praying for something that's going to make her life easier, something that's going to make her life uh, more uh, enjoyable. Her a healthy daughter, a daughter that's not going through this problem, is, is going to be good for her. But she recognizes that my needs, my comfort, my desires are not the center of my life. You are. Can we say that to Jesus? Can we say that to God? All these things that I want, all these things I ask for, all these things that I work for, those are not the center of my life. You are. She came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. Notice what Jesus says then. Does Jesus say, oh, okay, uh, I'll help you now? No, the first words he speaks to her are harsh or, or, or cruel from our perspective. It says, he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it. He's just told his disciples, I'm here for the Jews right now. I'm here to, to speak to the nation of Israel. My mission at this moment in time is to, to address them. And the woman comes and she, she, she worships him and says, you know, have mercy on me. And he says, but why should I take what, I, what I'm doing here for, for, you know, the children, the children of Israel, and why should I give it to you, a dog? 
Now, that seems really harsh, especially in our language. And, and the term dog was, was commonly used at that time by the Israelites to refer to Gentiles. Uh, it was a, a derogatory term. The term Jesus uses here is not the normal term for dog like they would have used then to, to speak of someone then. It's the word for a puppy. It's the word for like a pet, uh, like a, a small dog you might keep and take care of. And he says, you know, so he's not, he's not being as harsh as it may sound, but he is acknowledging she's a Gentile. She's, a, she's an outsider. She's not one of the children. She's not the, the ones that are there around the table. She's just on the outside looking in. He says, it's not me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Can you imagine her hearing that answer? She's been calling out, asking for healing for her daughter, asking Jesus to, to do something, and he's been ignoring her. When Jesus finally acknowledges her existence, it's merely to speak to his disciples that are around him and say, I, I've got something else I'm doing right now. Then she falls down and worships him and begs him to help her. And he finally addresses her and he says, why should I give what I'm, what I'm doing for the children and take their, their food and give it to the dogs? She could have walked away and said, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. I, fine, I'm done with this. She could have got angry. We're good at getting angry at God, aren't we? We're good at get, responding to God and saying, that's not how I want you to respond. She could have done all those things. What did she do? Truth, Lord. Yes, I agree. I don't deserve anything you're giving me. But notice what she says. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She says, I know you've got other things that you're focused on right now. I know you've got a mission and a task you're working on. But I also know that, that you are, are merciful. You see, we need to approach God with humility. Remember Job's encounter with God? I mentioned Job when I was talking about people who got the silence of God, who had to, to endure things and, and, and call out and, and not hear answers. When God finally spoke to Job, what did he say to him? Job 39, verses 26 to 29, he says, Does the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch her wings towards the south? He said, Are you the one that, that, that teaches the birds how to fly and where to go and when to be there? Are you the one that does all of that? Obviously implying that he is the one that does that, and Job was not. He goes on verse 27, does the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? He's saying, can you, are you the one that, that directs nature, everything around you? Are you remembering that I'm the one that, that they that all of nature reacts to? I'm the one that set all of this in motion, that, that taught them where to be, that taught the eagle how to get up and soar. This majestic bird that we can only look at in awe. He says, I'm the one that created that. I'm the one that taught it how to fly. I'm the one that taught her to make her nest up high. He goes on to talk a little bit more about the, uh, the eagle. He says, she dwelleth and abideth on the rock, upon the crag of the rock in the strong place. He says, I'm the one that taught her how to do that. From thence, she seeketh to pray, and her eyes behold afar off. He says, all this stuff that you see around you, everything that's working, uh, the, the way the, 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 the animals know what to do and the way the eagles know to, to get up high and to create their nest and to look for their prey and to go and to feed. He said, I created all that. I set all that in motion. And what did you have to do with that, Job? Job's answer is, is obvious. You know, I, I didn't have anything to do with it. And that's what Job responds there later in the book of Job is to realize that the God, you are, are greater than I. I don't have any, I don't deserve anything. And whatever you allow me to go through, you are just in doing so. That's what this woman is saying here, she's saying, truth, Lord, yet the dogs, even the crumbs, fall from their master's table. 
This lady understood that, that, she, that God didn't know her anything, but she also believed, apparently mightily, apparently with great faith, that God would have mercy on her. I heard the story of Martin Luther. Uh, that uh, there, there, I know uh, from history and the readings I've done, he went through a very dark time after the, the nailing of the 95 Theses and some of the uh, rejection he had from the, the church of that day. And he went through a really dark time. And I heard that one, at one point in time, his wife, Catherine, saw him discouraged and just really unresponsive for some time and just really into a, a state of depression. And one day she dressed in black morning clothes and she's walking through and, and Luther says, did, did someone die? And she says, yes, someone has died. He says, who? Catherine, his wife, looks at him and says, it seems God must have died. Now, Luther got the point. He knew what she was saying. God hadn't died. He needed to stop acting as if he had. God wasn't gone. There was God wasn't missing. God was still there. Martin Luther's struggling and saying, okay, I'm waiting for answers from God. I need, I need to know something is going on that, that's good. I'm going through all this stuff that's not good because I did what I'm pretty sure God was telling me to do, but I don't see him. She's reminding him, you think God's dead? He knew God wasn't dead. And uh, it, was, it was up to him to make sure, okay, I need to put my faith in that. I need to, to start acting like I know that God is in control, that, that God is, is God and, and I am not. We know God's character. We can trust him even when he's not giving us answers. Notice what else it says. Jesus responds to her, her comment there about the, the dogs eating of the crumbs. Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Jesus wasn't surprised by her faith. I would argue Jesus knew from the beginning the amount of faith that woman had. Based on all the miracles we see throughout the Gospels, he knew what was in her heart. But he wanted her to see what was in her heart. He wanted her to experience that joy of, of being persistent and seeing God answer her prayer when she acknowledged that she didn't deserve anything. He says, that's the kind of faith I'm looking for. That's the kind of faith. And, and because of that, your daughter's healed right now. Just like the leper said, instantly he was healed. God said, right now I'm working. You know, compare that. Great is thy faith, he says to this woman. Compare that to that phrase, O ye of little faith. Jesus will state that five times in the book of Matthew alone. O ye of little faith. Here he says, O woman, great is thy faith. How, is God, how, how should God respond to us? If we're standing there with Jesus today, which of those crowds are we going to be in? The one he says, there's someone who has faith. There's someone who trusts me. That even when they, I didn't respond the way they wanted me to or expected me to, they trusted in me. Or is he going to have to say, oh, ye of little faith? Do you still not know who I am yet? Do you still not trust me in all the things I've done for you? You know, David said in Psalm uh, 26, uh, Psalm 62, 1, Truly my soul waiteth upon God from him with my salvation. You know, we can wait on God when he's seemingly distant, when he's seemingly silent, because we know who he is. In Psalm chapter 13, David writes, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Ever feel like that? Like, God, where are you? I'm looking for answers. I need you. I said, David's experiencing that in this very moment as he's writing this psalm. How long? 
That, that phrase is translated as how long is repeated four times in these first two verses. Lord, how much longer, how much more can I take? I need your answers. He says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? God, I'm waiting for answers. God, I'm waiting for you. He says, consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest, the sleep, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He says, it's overwhelming. God. I need some answers. I need some direction. I need some guidance. Because if I don't get it, I just feel like everything's going to be lost. I'll just, I'll just drift off. He says, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed against you, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. He says, I'm, I'm just afraid everyone else is going to look at him and go, you know, yes, he's, he's done for. He's, he, you know, God's not with him. God didn't protect him. But notice in that last, ver- last uh, few verses here of this psalm, David's, I don't know, his abrupt turn, his reminder to himself of why he continues to wait on God. He says, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I love that passage. It's all about God's mercy. It's not about us. When I ask for God for direction and guidance, it's not because my life is so important that I need him to set everything in order. It's because he works in our lives. It's because we need him. Because we're uh, the, the, the dogs looking for crumbs. We're, we're, we're needing whatever God can give us. His mercy. He says, I shall rejoice in thy salvation. God's going to deliver us. God's the one that took our sins away. He's the one that came and died for our sins. He says, and I'll sing the Lord. Why? Because he's dealt bountifully with me. David said, I can remember the times that God has blessed me, and I know he's going to do it again. If you're going through that quiet time, that moment, that time of silence, that time when it, it feels like maybe God's not speaking, that time when it feels like God's so far away, hold on. Sing the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with you in the past. and He will answer you now. We can trust in his mercy, not our goodness, our importance, our, our needs, but in God's mercy. The fact that he will act on our behalf and trust that if, if we're going through that time, just like this woman was where God didn't seem to be responding to her, that we just keep praying. We keep worshiping him. We keep following him, knowing that he's working something in our life to show us who he is and what he can do just like he did for Job, just like he did for David, just like he did for this Syrophoenician woman, this Canaanite woman. He can do that for you. Will you let him?